Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Zach. We run a small independent bookshop called Rosie Ravelston Books. We specialise in selling new and secondhand books that change the world, with books that inspire, motivate and entertain. We're a small social enterprise that combines our love of reading with our passion for supporting refugees and asylum seekers by donating 50% of our profit to a charity called Amiculous, the Humble Friend Project. You can find us and our dog Echo at rosieravelstonbooks.com, on Facebook, Instagram or post-lockdown in our Blue Mountains bookshop at 201 Great Western Highway, Hazelbrook, New South Wales. Danny, Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a good spell uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction went, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day, and, I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. Who wouldn't want to celebrate the Words and Nerds fabulous podcast? Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Danny V, and I'm super excited to welcome Sarah Bailey, return guest. Her debut novel, The Dark Lake, is a bestseller in Australia, the US and Canada. It won both the 2018 Davitt Award for Best Crime Debut and the 2018 Ned Kelly Award for Best First Crime. Very impressive, Sarah. Detective Gemma Woodstock returned in the sequel, Into the Night, published worldwide in 2018. The third book in the series is Where the Dead Go, but today we're going to chat about Sarah's new book, The Housemate. Welcome back. Thank you, Danny. Thank you for having me back. I love speaking to you and I love your work as well, huge fan. And I was looking through the archives and I realized that we spoke episode 44, episode 129, and then you joined us for an episode about NaNoWriMo in episode 223. We're heading towards 400 now. It's amazing. It's very impressive. I wish I could write books as fast as you do podcast episodes. <laughs> well, my, my podcast is not like a fantastic 90,000 word thriller with a million twists. So look, let's give credit where credit's due, Sarah. <laughs> but 44, that was like really green for the podcast. And we had a chat about your first books. And I, I feel like we're in a different place, Sarah. I feel like there was no COVID. We were free and young and naive. And now we're in lockdown. <laughs> Yeah, it was nice. It was nice, nice. The old days, they were good. <laughs> <laughs> the old days. Anyway, we are going to talk about many things, but we will start by talking about The Housemate. Fabulous thriller. It, you know, I was saying to you off air, these are the books that have been keeping me, uh, you know, distracted during this very hard lockdown in Sydney. So, and when I say hard, I mean difficult. Let's um, not get... <laughs> get confused here um, but give me an elevator pitch for the housemate um so the housemate is a cold case that hots up that's the that's the Ooh, easiest most like distinct it. way to, shortest to elevator ride ever yeah very quick elevator one level only um but to elaborate a little bit um ollie groves is the the main character in the book she's a journalist so it's kind of one of those journo procedurals i suppose um I've switched out a detective for a journalist, but she is still acting like a detective in the sense that she's trying to work out what happened with this cold case that sort of comes screaming back into the headlines again. Um, she worked on the story when she was a young cadet, so it's kind of got quite a lot of personal um, 
connection for her and she's got a bit more of a personal connection than just work because she's now engaged to the uh, widow of the detective that was leading the case. So um, she sort of, I guess, in some ways retraces the, the footsteps of this um, dead detective um, and who knows where that's going to lead her. Mm, our cold cases <laughs> are super interesting, I reckon. What got you interested in, in the cold case idea? Yeah, I had, I, I, this book took on quite a lot of different um, forms, but luckily they were all in my head. So I didn't rewrite it a million times exactly. I just sort of had quite a lot of different ideas I was playing around with. And I think because I liked the idea of um, there being a few different things that had happened and looking back at the past and having two, two timelines, it kind of, I guess the idea of having a crime that popped up in both of those timelines suited the, the character story that I wanted to tell. Yep. So I think that's sort of ultimately where it started. And um, I think people are just fascinated with unsolved mysteries. I guess, I mean, I am. I know um, a lot of people I, I'm friendly with are too. And I think there's just um, there's something about unfinished business and loose threads and unresolved closure. So it's always, I think, an easy um, thread to sort of lay out and then, and then pull. Um, and because time's passed... I guess the crime itself um, is interesting to solve because you've got to typically rely on witness statements and people that know something. It's not purely evidence-based. So I think it just, yeah, it, it can sort of, um, you can follow characters as they evolve over time, which I also think I find really interesting as well. Mm, it is interesting. And I feel like cold cases are even more interesting now because in an age of phones and CCTV and DNA, if you can't catch someone, that's pretty pretty rare and intense yeah I think um it's funny though I think the technology thing you know obviously a lot of crime writers avoid um setting crimes in modern eras because <laughs> you, know, you do get to avoid some of the social media and the tracking and the CCTV and it's definitely a challenge to kind of work through how a crime could take place and not be solved because of all of the monitoring in mm -hmm. our society so I, I definitely um I definitely understand that kind of temptation. But then I guess there's the other side of um, the coin, which is sort of around the fact that the, the, the faster technology is being rolled out, the faster new crimes are being committed yeah. kind of that, that manage to navigate it somehow. Um, and I think we've become really reliant on evidence. And so if evidence is um, sort of discounted or tampered with or um, questionable in some way, there's often then not much behind that, that, that kind of case to, to hold up in court or whatever. So, yeah, I don't know. I think there's always going to be a way to make crime work. Yeah, um, for sure. Everyone's always trying to run outrun each other. So <laughs> I'm, I'm hopeful that there will still be lots of fodder for crime stories no matter what era we're in. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I absolutely think, I don't think crime's going to go away, <laughs> crime novels or crime. Now, I, I, I was always drawn to your novels because of, you know, I loved Gemma Woodstock and I loved, you know, the female character who was a real female character and had all her you know, idiosyncrasies and flaws and greatness. And I really liked that. And I think that's it's needed in literature. And Olive Groves, you know, another great character. But I wanted to ask you after, you know, as a reader, I was very involved with Gemma Woodstock as writing her character. Did you find you really had to pull them apart and make sure they weren't the same and make Olive her own person and not slip back into what you've done for the last three books? Yeah, I think it was... Um... I didn't miss Gemma. Like I've had a few people ask me that and I don't think it was sort of a missing situation, but just 
getting out of that um, voice and headspace, I suppose, and into some someone else's story was um, a bit tricky at the start. And I think um, I did start writing this in first person and then switched it to third person, which helped a lot. I think not being sort of in the um, head of that person like I am when I write Gemma was, I think, a bit of a um, gear shift. That that was good. Um, but they're different. I think they're, they're different in terms of where they're at in their lives and Ollie's older and a little bit more mature. Um, she's got responsibilities, but she doesn't have her own child. So there's like quite a lot of things that are sort of different. Um, I, I think hopefully that comes across. But yeah, I think I think every um, book that you write, you've got to sort of just switch into that gear yeah. and it takes a little while um, to sort of understand how they're going to react in different circumstances. And that's when I think you kind of go, oh, I've got this now because I know what they're going to say. Yeah. Um, so it's fun. Like, it's really fun. I really yeah. like that. And they're both great characters. They're both very different. But I was wondering from a process perspective, did you kind of have to force yourself not to slip into the old GMR, the old habits? <laughs> I think so. And and I think, yes, luckily, though, they were in different enough scenarios that there was people around them that were kind of pulling them into their character playpen. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in um, The Housemate, Ollie's got, sort of her relationship with her partner, which is quite uh, complicated. So there, there was a lot to sort of riff off with him. Um, and then she's got sort of her work environment, which again is quite different from um, what Gemma has. But, you know, there's similarities, like strong sort of female leads that are in uh, environments where they're under a lot of pressure, um, put a lot of pressure on themselves. So, you know, they're not kind of, kind of completely different people, but um, yeah, de definitely different motivators and um, different scenarios and, and lifestyles that they're leading. So yeah, it was fun. It was fun to create a, a new person. Yeah, but it's definitely a credit to you because Gemma Woodstock still sticks with me after three books. And so I think when a character sticks with you that much, like it's a real credit to you as a writer that, you know, that character really had an impact on, on you. I read oh. a lot of books, Sarah, and she still is in my mind. <laughs> Oh, well, she's in my mind too. So, yeah, I, I understand that. But that's that's really uh, lovely to hear because, um, yeah, I'm really proud of Gemma because I never thought I would be able to sustain a character for three books and um, it's still sort of surprising that that actually happened. But it's nice. Like I think being able to tell that story in an ongoing way was, you know, really a, bi a big achievement for me personally. And then I guess the whole point of writing The Housemate was to see if I could do something different. Mm. Um, so that was nice too. So yeah, it's been fun. And Both of I, I don't love Olive any less. I love Olive Groves as much. <laughs> I just um, I had three books of Gemma. That's all. <laughs> yeah, she's, I think Olive's taller, so um, with Gemma, like you feel like you could pick her up and like you know hush her down, whereas Olive's probably a little bit more like you wouldn't like sweep her off her feet. Just <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm small too. Maybe that's why I thought Gemma and I could hang out and be like five foot together. <laughs> now, it is a great crime thriller with, of course, you know, I, that's what I love about your stories. The protagonists, they're not just the, the journalist or the cop. You know, they have all this own, their own stories and their own trauma and they're connected in some way to, to the plot. So I really like that, the way you do that with your characters. So how do you go about planning your thriller? Are you, are you the, the pantser? Are you the plotter? Are you the in-betweener? It's, it's such an appalling process that I don't even know <laughs> if it's worth mentioning. Like, Things to work. Yeah, I think I said to someone the other day, like I, I guess I get there in the end and that's 
that's surely the main thing. Um, and I've sort of stopped fighting it, it as well now because I know I know myself well enough that if I sit down and try to plot something out, I sort of know that it's just wasting my own time and I'm kind of procrastinating in this pretend organised way. <laughs> um, but I, I did... I did write a synopsis for this book um, as a pitch to the publisher. So I guess it's it's probably the most organised I've ever been in the sense that I did actually put pen to paper after a lot of thinking and get down sort of a two-page summary. Um, it's not very much near what... <laughs> it hasn't turned out to be very close to what that original <laughs> synopsis was, but there was a plan. Um, and the, the key elements are the same. And I think that sort of... That does seem to be my... Um, uh, method I suppose is that I kind of I have a premise and and sort of like an intention and then there's a couple of key things that I'm really really clear about so I sort of you know with this book I knew you know what Ollie's um, kind of goal would be from a work point of view I sort of knew how the relationship was going to pan out so there's a few key beats that I'm really set on and then everything else sort of changes and that includes like things that happen change, characters change, new characters appear, and it, it's quite chaotic. Um, and there's definitely a tipping point. Like normally when I get to about 50,000, sort of halfway mark, I guess, I just, it's like it's become too um, much of a beast for me to actually manage. And I almost have to sort of break it down into little sections and I start writing all out of order. So I'll write the end and then I'll write bits in the middle and then it's like I'm filling in the gaps and then I patchwork it all together. So it's, like I said, it's the most inefficient process I can imagine. Um, but I do write quite fast. Mm -hmm. So I think at least even when I'm all over the place and writing out of order and patching things together, it's not, I'm quite quick. So mm -hmm. it sort of, um, doesn't take me too long. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of rewriting and a lot of um, kind of dabbling back on sections and having to fix them. So yeah, I, I listen to podcasts about other people's writing process and I'm like, God, that sounds so calming and pleasing. And like, my I think yours is real, you know, like I think yours is real. And I hear a lot about people's mess, but I'm wondering, I mean, I spoke to Jack Heath not long ago and he said, no matter how many books he writes, three quarters of the way through, he just has this complete lack of confidence, loss of, you know, any idea that he's an actual writer. And I feel like your writing process, you're very honest with it. And I, I, I appreciate that. You know, and you're saying there's lots of mess and lots of loose threads and everything. Do you get to the point where you think, oh, my God, this is too hard, it's not coming together before you get to that point of finishing? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> 100%. Like even um, even when it's finished, I feel that way and it's kind of um, I'm looking at it and I, like, get sort of feedback from the editor and I open the laptop and I've got my eyes shut so I'm just like I can't deal with how hard this is going to be. Um, but yeah, I think I think what happens is because my books are also quite long, like I actually get to a point where I do feel like I've lost control of the story and it's got so many, because my books are also, I think, unfortunately a little bit complicated, like there's a few different plot threads which I can't seem to kind of help um, doing. I have to sort of stop and actually kind of go, right, what is going on here? Like I know it's kind of going to work out because I have faith now that my brain has kind of figured out a path that I just can't yet see so it's like I'm catching up to my own kind of pre-planned breadcrumbs um but it can be overwhelming um and I've had to you know do things like print the whole thing out and actually break it up into sections and write notes to go this needs to join to this because how does that suddenly become that so yeah it's pretty sort of um 
it's pretty, it's, it is like a strategic process trying to figure it all out, but it's like you're fighting against your own brain because it's, it's your own fault. Like you've set out. <laughs> what have I done to myself? Yeah, so it's so frustrating. And then I'm like, I made this happen. So it's not like I blame someone else. It's not like, I love that. It, you know, so it's, it's a funny, like, yeah, it's a funny sort of circular um, process, which it, it is quite funny, I suppose, looking back on it. But yeah, there's definitely been times where I'm like, oh God, I actually don't know if this is going to work. Um, but then you sort of get to that point where you're like, it's just words on the page. So how hard can it be? Like they are under my control. I can make them do things. It'll be fine. So yeah, it's look, it's finishing is the best part, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm trying to enjoy the other parts too. <laughs> <laughs> I just find it mind blowing, honestly, Sarah. Like you just said, and I agree with you. You know, the intricate plots and the multiple threads, and you don't plan, you just write. And for you to be able to put all that together in the end, and it makes sense, and it be this great suspenseful story, like that's amazing to me. Uh, thank you. I mean. <laughs> I do I do have this kind of um I had this weird thought the other day where I was like oh if you know if the manuscript went missing and the and the publisher just sort of said hey you need to actually rewrite it we've lost all of the files and whatever this goes for any of my books I'm like there is absolutely no way I could ever do that again and I know that's silly because I guess hopefully I'll I'll write another book at some point again but the thought of having to rewrite something like I cannot imagine doing that um, so it does feel like a one-off moment in time where that particular story just has to get written and that's that. But, um, yeah, like I said, I've thought about trying to be a little bit more planned and I just don't think that, um, I don't know, maybe there's something in the in the genre and style I write too where because it is mysteries, it's almost like I've got to create the mystery and solve it for it mm. to actually happen. It's like I've sort yeah, of thought. Yeah, I like that. So maybe if I wrote something really funny or something that wasn't a mystery I, I would be able to plan it out who knows <laughs> mm, I've been talking a lot to people about um just leaning into the kind of writer you are or the kind of creative you are because I think everyone longs to be kind of what they're not you know I want to be a planner I want to be a pants I want to be whatever so I think um just leaning into what it is and leaning into your sort of what you call your chaos I mean it works for you you've got four amazing books so <laughs> Yeah, I, and I think, like, I am an organised person and so I think maybe that's why I find it a bit funny because I'm, you know, generally I am quite organised and organised in work and in other parts of my life, but um, I'm organised, like, in my um, time, like, I manage my time quite well with writing. It's just that when I'm actually writing, it's it's all sort of a bit random and chaotic. So, yeah, like, some parts of it feel a bit off-brand, but I think you're right, like, leaning into it is is the best way because at the what end of the day you do? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't really yeah. matter as long as you get what you want to get done done I guess yeah now I um drop every book I read in the bath I'm pretty impressed because I, I took your book in the bath and look it's dry I didn't drop it it's like the it's it's a miracle it I dropped nine out of ten books in the bath I read an awful lot in the bath okay. and I, think, I do a lot of thinking okay right um, I do. I wish I could do all my work in the bath like I would probably <laughs> like try to read my entire life in there to be honest but um yeah, no, I do a lot of, um, I, I play, there's a feature on Word where you can play the text and a voice reads it out to you. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's a weird voice. Um, it sounds like a computer person. But um, when I'm close to handing in my final drafts, I play my book to myself because um, you, you really pick up on heaps of errors when you do that. 
That's cool. And so I'll make little notes and be like, page four, relook at that, doesn't make sense. Or because it's if someone else is stumbling over the words, you know, that you've written, you're like, oh, actually, that doesn't work. So I read aloud a little bit too, but I think when you read your own work aloud, you, you make the same mistakes that you've made in the writing. Um, so, yeah, that's a hot tip. Is that like is cool. Play function. Yeah, voice function I didn't and, know that. That's amazing. I have heard of, you know, you should read your book aloud or get your partner or best friend or whatever to read your book aloud. The big ask, though, for a partner or a friend to do that. <laughs> 90,000 words of, you know, that you're going to change. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I haven't heard of the computer playing, like a Siri. That's cool. Computer man um, just reads it for you without That's complaining. Awesome. And, without complaining, yeah. without wanting you to. Drones on and out. on. <laughs> it's, a very, it's a very tedious voice to listen to, but, um, <laughs> yeah, it still works from a error's point of view so yeah the story can be interesting if computer man reads it it's going to be interesting if someone else reads it right in, yeah in theory I think that's right <laughs> <laughs> now so my question I did have a question for you about your process and how it's changed from book one to book four but it doesn't sound like it's changed that much uh it hasn't changed but um I think just the time uh I'm just a bit less um I worry about it all less I think okay. now I kind of feel like when I've got time to write, I just um, do it then. And I and I have reframed a little bit that whole thing around oh, I need a whole day to, to write or I'm not going to be able to do it properly. And I, I try very hard to go, you've got half an hour. Do it. That's that's 30 minutes. You know, that's not bad. Like see what you can get done in 30 minutes. Um, and I don't always write in little pockets of, of time or whatever. But, yeah, I've, I've sort of stopped uh, battling against big slabs of time and just trying to kind of take what I can. Um, and then, you know, lockdown was a weird um, time in which to write last year. So mm-hmm. I did go back to writing much more at night, like after a day of work, which I hadn't done for sort of two years. Um, and I liked it. So I kind of, have, yeah, become a night writer again after two books of not being night writer. So mm-hmm. there you go. <laughs> but just as you said that as well, like I think there's a lot of just leaning into things. And I love that because, I think particularly being in lockdown, I'm an anxious person. I talk about it because I just, you know, it makes me feel better sometimes. But I think anxiety is caused because you're trying to fight things or overthink yeah. things. And so with this lockdown, I've really struggled with it. So I've really tried to just lean into it and go, okay, I'm going to lean into this moment. I'm going to lean into this difficulty. It's actually quite liberating, surprisingly. Yeah, I think there is, I mean, I don't want to get too kind of woo-woo because I'm really not that kind of person anyway. But Yeah, same. Um, I'm not, <laughs> but, but I'm feeling this, you know. <laughs> and it's more, I think it's just a re- reframing is more, I think, the thing that I'm obsessed with at the moment because I think everything is pretty challenging and, you know, lots of things are difficult about being in lockdown or being in these uncertain kind of times. And I think it's just that the way that you can reframe something can make a massive difference, you know, whether it's homeschooling or work or books and writing. Um, I'm just trying to kind of go, how lucky am I to get to do this as opposed to, oh, God, you know, I've got all these things to do. And, like, it doesn't always work, you know, it depends on the day. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, with, yeah, with writing particularly, people can be so hard on themselves. And I just think if you're getting anything written, that's great. If you're enjoying it, that's great. And so I think it's sort of just don't worry about what you're not doing, just worry about what you are doing and things like that I do find quite helpful. So, yeah. Absolutely. Love it. I really like that idea, the reframing, the leaning in. I'm trying really hard. We'll see what happens when we're finally out of lockdown. What happens? It is. 
Yeah. Now, crime, you know, we know crime's always been big, but crime, particularly now in Australian crime, is just, you know, it's amazing. It's doing well and people are loving it. It's one of my favourite genres. Why do you think crime resonates with readers so much? Oh, I, ju- I think it's just fun to read. And I know that sounds kind of awful because generally it can be about something pretty um, horrific, but, you know, it's not real, it's safe. And I just think those. Um, the structures of a crime novel, your brain just grabs onto them. Like we're so trained to want to know what happens, to, you know, solve the story, to get the resolution. And so once you lay out um, something for someone to solve, well, you, you kind of, you've given them this this hook that they then have to follow. So, yeah, I think it's just a great distraction in times where things aren't certain. Um, and, you know, these days, I just think people are so clever. So it's not just what happened, but it's also how did it happen and who did what and how how else might someone be involved? And even people that aren't guilty, guilty, aren't necessarily completely innocent. So there's kind of lots of moral conundrums and questions. And, yeah, I think I think crime just gives, gives so much um, and tackles so much more than the actual sort of um, hook line on the story. So... Yeah, it's fun. Like, I think people just find it really entertaining and a, and a really nice way to spend however many hours, you know? Mm, yeah, no, I agree. I think crime does so much and it's so much more than the dead body now. It's, you know, the character analysis and, like you said, all those different threads and all the different, you know, character ambiguities and no one's the bad person anymore and no one's the good person anymore and then it reflects society. So I just think crime, you know, out of all the genres, it just does so much. Yeah, I, I agree and I I did um I did go to quite a few court cases when I was reviewing this story. It was sort of start of last year, end of the year before. Um so yeah, late 2019. Um and just the the different sort of um moral quandaries on display in some of those sessions was pretty mind-boggling and you know, you get spat back out on the street afterwards and you just think, "My god, someone's world's falling apart in that in that, you know, courtroom." Um, and everyone out here is just getting on with everything. And that's just happening every day. And, you know, all different levels of um, things that have been done or not done. So some of them are, you know, what you'd call like mild kind of small crimes and other things were completely upending lives, families, whatnot. It's just, yeah, I guess it's just um, people have just made decisions and mm-hmm. sometimes those decisions have terrible consequences. And I just think people are endlessly interested in that and what would I do what would I not do what would my friends do it's interesting to think about I think yeah it is and in some ways you never know what you would actually do until you're faced with that situation you can pretend to know what you'd do but you know once your children are at stake or whatever you just you don't know what you'd do the stakes then can be played with as well and you're like well actually maybe now I would you know and so lots of ways to sort of um manipulate the questions I suppose yeah absolutely I love that four fabulous books in Sarah I want to ask you what defines a Sarah Bailey book (laughs) um I don't know actually that's a good question um I mean I don't know I was going to say something silly and go I wrote them but that's really silly Um, (laughs) I think um I mean so I was a strong yeah strong female lead character but that's actually not true because um i've just finished a a, an audio book that's got a a very weak main male character so um interesting yeah so uh, hopefully that will be still a good sarah book i just think interesting characters maybe Mm -hmm. i mean i'm really interested in people that are sort of 
slightly against the grain or a little bit complicated and maybe not always super predictable. Um, but I also just like, um, yeah, I, I suppose a cast of characters that interact with each other in interesting ways. Like I know Ollie's the main character in The Housemate, but, you know, I love Cooper. I liked creating all of her workmates, her partner, Dean. Like it's it's always the whole cast for me, even though there's generally like a dominating kind of character in the mix. So um, I, I really enjoy that part of it and yeah then building the story around those characters is is kind of a bonus I suppose. Mm, I actually think you've hit the nail on the head with interesting characters because I know that's what's drawn me to to all of your books so far so and I'm looking forward to your audible is it audible? Yeah I think it's coming out quite soon as well so yeah I actually started writing it um first so it was years ago before any of the Gemma books so um I put on ice for like four years and then picked it back up and finished it. So it's it feels strange, like it's been around for a long time. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, hopefully, yeah, hopefully people like it. It's a bit different. but Fantastic. No, I look forward to that. It's amazing. I didn't know that. Excellent. Another Audible to catch up on. They're doing some really great work. So Yeah, it's interesting, I think. Yeah, yeah. it really, really is. Yeah. Sarah, thank you so much. I love speaking to you and you've been on four times now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, I love it. I love it. And look, in 400 episodes, you know, you could probably come on a few more times. It'd be fine. Uh, um, anytime you'll have me, I'm happy to have you. But um, no, I, I, the stuff, the work that you do to support books and authors is amazing. So I'm always happy to be on the show for sure. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. But, you know, I love your work and I'm a big fan and I love speaking to you about it. We always find different things to chat about each time. So um, thank you so much for your time and this amazing book again. So huge fan of yours, Sarah, and I'm looking forward to your audible. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Danny. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. We'd love to engage with you on social media. You can find the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Danny V Books, Words and Nerds podcast. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay safe and read more books.